I want to ask you to turn in your Bible with me to the, uh, the 8th chapter of Jeremiah. talk to you about America at the crossroads out of Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived in a time when after some 600 or 700 years of history as a nation, history as God's people, God after his Merciful, merciful, merciful waiting and having sent prophet after prophet, having heard prayers and sent good kings, good leaders in the midst of terrible sin, God finally says, I've had enough. In chapter 6, God tells Jeremiah to tell the people to go stand at the crossroads. And what crossroads? The crossroads where God's ways divide from the world's ways. And he said, go stand and ask, where are the paths? Where are the ancient paths? Where are the paths to peace? Where are the paths to healing? Where are the paths to righteousness? Where are God's ways? And follow those ways. And you'll find peace. You'll find security. But the people said, no, we're not going to do that. And over and over and over and over through the long history of Israel and then Israel and Judah from the very time that God redeemed them out of Egypt and brought them through the wilderness and they said no we won't do that and God started over with their children after they all died in the wilderness and at some point when God says stand at the crossroads and seek the way that it's that is the right way. And people say, no, we won't do that. There comes a time when God says, there's the line and there's no return. Look with me in Jeremiah 8. <clears throat> Jeremiah has prophesied at the, at the will of God the instruction of God that a time was coming when Jerusalem would be destroyed, the bones, the inhabitants of the the kings that were in tombs, the tombs would be destroyed, their bones would be dragged into the sun. So many people would be killed that there would not be a place to bury them and that men would choose death rather than life because of the evil that was happening around them. In verse 4 he said, You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Do men fall down and not get up again? Does one turn away and not return or repent? The word repent means to turn or return. Does one Does one turn down the wrong road and discover he's on the wrong road and does not turn around to go back and get on the right road? Why then has this people, Jerusalem, turned away in continual apostasy? I like the way the King James says that. Perpetual backsliding. They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I've listened and I've heard. 
They have spoken what is not right. And no man repented of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Everyone turned to his own course, and like a horse charging into battle, the picture of people rushing headlong into that which they know God has said, this is not right. And like the person who puts hands over his eyes, fingers in his ears, and says, don't bother me with all that truth stuff. This is what I've chosen to do. Verse 7, he says, even the stork in the sky knows her seasons. In Alaska, I used to love to watch the birds because there's so many birds that migrate in and out. There's a king eider that's a beautiful, beautiful bird, a duck-like bird that has beautiful colors that migrates from Siberia to the northern coast of Alaska and, and uh, Canada. And they know. Instinctively, God has put within them the knowledge of when to get up and when to go. I love to watch the snow geese in April on their return migration to the Arctic. They would stop in the Kenai River Flats where I lived, and I've been there in a place of maybe 300 acres with just as white as a, a white cotton field. And, it, and I could preach 50 years ago, and everybody knew what a white cotton field looked like. Not, not so anymore. Many of you have never seen a white cotton field. Where everything was white. And then a plane would fly by, and the buzz of the plane coming from the airport would cause one of those geese to lift up, and then the whole group would come up, and it's just like watching something just beautiful. My favorite migrating bird was the uh, Arctic tern that yearly migrates 25,000 miles. He flies from the Arctic down to the Antarctic. I love to watch those birds as they hover in the spring or the early summer in June when the salmon smolt, the little baby salmon are leaving the hatchery going down the river by the, by the millions, headed to the, headed to the sea where some of them in four years, some of them in six years, some of those in seven years would have within them this God-given clock that says it's time to go back to the place where you came from. And the salmon, no matter where they were at in the ocean, would begin in mass to return. And they don't return just to any stream. They return to the very stream and the very branch that goes into the stream, the spot where they were born, they migrate backwards that way. And Jeremiah says the stork, the animals, have more sense than most people. They know the seasons and they know the time to migrate. Instinctively I have given them that knowledge, but my people do not know the laws of the Lord. Verse 8. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? It may seem like when you read Jeremiah that the people were not doing any religious ritual. They were doing religious rituals. But their hearts had gone so far from God that at the same day they could come and offer some kind of sacrifice, they could commit adultery. Or they could go to some other idol. You know, one of the, one of the reasons that, that Baal was such a hideous, hideous thing, Baal worship, was because the, the houses of Baal, number one, is hideous because it is an anti-Christ. It is an anti-God. 
It is not God. It parades and mocks as God, claims powers that it has not any ability to, get, to do, made out of stone or wood, the creation of somebody's hands, has no eyes that can see and no heart that can feel, no ears that can hear, no mouth that can speak. And yet people bow down to Baal. And you know why they bow down to Baal? Because Baal allowed them to live godless lives. And at the temple where Baal was at, there were houses of male and houses of female prostitution. And when you went to Baal to offer a sacrifice, part of that was a fertility offering of sexual orgy type offering. How can you say we're wise? And God's law is with us. The lying pen of the scribes has turned God's law into lies. In other words, those who were supposed to present the truth from the Scriptures, the Torah, had twisted it in order to tell people what they wanted to hear, in order to make them feel good, and in essence, lying to them. Verse 9, the wise men are put to shame. They are dismayed and caught. They have rejected the word of the Lord. And so what kind of wisdom is within them? Therefore, I will give their wives to others. Their fields to new owners. Because from the least, even to the greatest... Everyone is guilty, is greedy for gain. The prophet to the priest, everyone practices deceit. And they heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they've done? God said of them, they've bowed down to that which is worthless, and in doing so, they've become worthless. What you worship is what you become like. They certainly were not ashamed. They did not know how to blush. In chapter 6, he repeats that phrase, and he says, people have forgotten how to even blush at sin. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time of their punishment. They shall be brought down. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says of nations, of nations, the nation that rejects God will be turned to hell. What is left when you remove God? Is it possible that America has said to God over and over and over and over again, we don't want you here. We don't want you in our laws. We don't want you in our capital. We don't want you in our schools. It's okay, you stay in the church, but don't you dare come out of the church. And when you reject God, when God pulls away, there's nothing left except that which is not God, and that is a description of hell. Verse 12, the last sentence. At that time, at the time of their punishment, they will be brought down, says the Lord. I will surely snatch them away, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine and no figs on the tree. Here he describes judgment that includes the economy because this was an agricultural land. The economy depended on crops, on, on fruit, on vines, on the... On the uh, sheep and the cattle the leaf will wither and what I've given them will pass away the blessings that I've given God will be stripped away 
Why are we sitting still? Assemble yourselves and let us go into the fortified cities and let us perish there because the Lord our God has doomed us and given us poison water to drink and we've sinned against the Lord. The wages of sin is still death. Now you and I know that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And there is a thought process in American Christianity that basically says Jesus has suffered the penalty for all sins for all time. Therefore, it doesn't really matter what we do. Jesus said in Jeremiah 15 or 18, right? He said, go down to the potter's house. The potter worked on something and something was, what he was working on was marred. And, and the potter, the, the the vessel was marred and, and the potter took and he must have pulled out potters would what they would do is they would take if if the vessel's marred it is it spins quickly if you've never seen this you ought to watch it sometime as it spins quickly if there's a stubborn hard place in that clay it'll throw the whole thing out if there's a foreign object in the clay a piece of grass a twig it'll it'll mar the vessel and so the potter was working and the vessel was marred and he took the clay, he must have purified it and he put it back on the wheel and he made another vessel that pleased him. And God spoke to Jeremiah and says, if, if I say about any nation, I'm going to destroy you and that nation hears me and repents and turns to me and begins to do what I tell them to do, then I will repent or I will change my mind about the destruction I was going to do. But if I say I'm going to bless the nation, and they turn away to foreign things, to empty things, then I will destroy that nation when they refuse to obey me. Now there are a lot of people who think, and, and rightfully so, we're not Israel. When I say that, I mean America. The new Israel is the church of Jesus Christ. But, the, but, but, but America is not Israel, but there are principles in the Bible that God goes by with nations, and he says, if a nation, a people group, a, a group of people, a nation, does this, I will do this. And we see the evidence of that in Nineveh when Jonah went to preach. Jonah did not preach repentance. Nowhere in that book do you find Jonah saying repent. Jonah announced God's judgment and said doom is here. But like the storks, like the Arctic Turn, something instinctively within the people said we need to repent. Because God has put deep within the conscience and the heart and the soul in the deepest corners and cracks and crevices of the other person, of every person, a knowledge of right and wrong and a, and a knowledge of himself. And Nineveh repented. Verse 15 Jeremiah says, we waited for peace, but no good came. We waited for a time of healing, and behold, instead, terror. And he describes from Dan, the snorting of the horses. The land is shaking. And he describes God sending an invading army to conquer. Verse 17, he says, I'm sending serpents among you. Adders for which there's no charm, and they will bite you. And he's referring to the smooth-tongued prophets who call themselves prophets, who charmed people with their smooth talking. And God said, I'm sending something at your smooth-talking. Your smooth-talking prophets, your smooth-talking preachers, your smooth-talking presidents, or whoever cannot charm. Verse 18, Jeremiah gives us a glimpse into his own heart. Of all the prophets in the Old Testament, Jeremiah is the only one that really talked about his own feelings very much. Verse 18, he says, my sorrow 
is beyond healing. My heart is faint within me. Listen, listen to the cry of the daughter of my people from a distant land where they've been deported. He is prophesying, in the Lord, is there not a Lord in Zion? Is her king not with her? Have they provoked me with their graven images and foreign idols? In verse 20, one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible, harvest is past and summer is ended. Jeremiah has preached his heart and soul out. At the, at the word of God, Jeremiah took it to the people hoping that his words, God's words, would bring about a repentance that would bring healing in the land. And summertime was the time of harvest. And he says, the harvest is past. Summer has ended. And we're not saved. For the brokenness of the daughter of my people I am broken. I mourn. Dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Gilead was known and was famous for its medicinal creams, medicinal balms. My grandmother had this uh, little tin of ointment. Uh, if I could think of the name of it, some of you probably had parents had the same thing. And she used that for everything. If you got a cut, she'd put that ointment on you. If you couldn't sleep and your nose was stopped up, she'd put it up in your nose so it'd really be stopped up. It's okay to laugh. And he said, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Then why? Why has not the health of the daughter of my people, been restored. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Oh, God, thank you. I don't know how far it is from the crossroad to the finish line, to the line of no return, but God, help us. Grant us time and opportunity and a heart right to seek your face. In Jesus' name. Amen. I brought my, my Bible that was given to me the first day of August in 1971 uh, when I was licensed to preach. It's got pages that are torn, the edges are worn from use, and uh, the binding is not in good shape. It's also got notes. Even has my Jesus said, I'm the way sticker from the Jesus movement days. <clears throat> During those days of revival in America, God began to work, and old preachers used to say, He began to exercise my heart. He began to stretch my heart. And the notes, basically, that I'm going to share with you this morning are in here, because I preached them to church after church in the early 70s, the mid-70s, as a teenage boy, as a young man. I would go to, the, to my quiet spot on campus at Clark College with my Bible and I'd find a place to sit and lean on a tree or wherever and I'd spend time with the Lord or I'd go in the woods. I had a lot more discretion with my time being a, a single guy in his late teens, early 20s. And I would read and God just began to pour into my heart and I would see these things that I'm speaking of that I read this morning as though they were realities around me because God was telling me, this is America. 
And I would look around at America. We were in the, the latter stages of this awakening. I'd lived through the, seen the riots and, and watts. I'd seen all the racial hatred and rioting in, in the 60s. Cities being set on fire. Seen all that. But after that came a time of revival and, and it came a time of awakening in America. Even as a teenage boy, I stood in churches and preached where I had to stand still because kids were sitting on the stage around me and all the way out to the back of the church. And it wasn't because I was a good preacher. It was because the Spirit of God was working. And there were many, many, many preachers like me, teenage preachers. And I would say, Lord, you show me these things in your word but then I look around me and there's revival wherever I see. Jeremiah had somewhat of that same experience because Jeremiah began to preach during the reform movement of Josiah. And the good king Josiah, he stopped. He stopped the child sacrifice in the valley of Hinnon. He went and destroyed Baal's altars. He reinstituted and brought the law back. And Jeremiah said in chapter 15, the word of God was found and I began to devour it. It was my peace and my joy in that word. I said that last week. And yet, Josiah passed. And the revival movement passed. And God saw beyond what was obvious to that which looked distant. And I used to pray over that when I was a kid. When I'd go preach these, these messages about judgment. And people look at me like I was, I don't know, a one-eyed cyclops or something. Really? Church is full of judgment? And I began to understand that God never lies. That time's coming. And folks, with everything that is in me that discerns anything of the Lord, I, I believe, I can't prove this, I don't want to just give you my opinions, I, I, but I believe that that time is near. My hope is, my hope is that enough people in America, in Christ, in, in churches that love Jesus like you love Jesus, my hope is that enough people love Jesus and continue to love Jesus and begin to pray and seek God so that there comes another spiritual awakening to delay the judgment of God. That is my hope. In chapter 6, Jeremiah is told the people to go stand at the crossroads and look for the right path, the path, the old path that leads to God. Everybody talks about change. We just need change. We need change. The kind of change most people want has nothing to do with God. We do need change. And then Jeremiah chapter 8 is a place that shows that for Israel there was a line that God drew. And that line between justice and judgment and mercy and Israel, in chapter 8, crossed the line of no return. I do not know where that line is located for America. Israel had six to seven hundred years of rebelling against God before God finally said, no more. Our country is basically about 300 years old. We've not been at it as long. And there are still a lot of righteous people in this country, in this land, that love the Lord and seek to do good. America has been a center of missions to the whole world. America has been a center of Western, of Christianity for the world for a number of years. But that is no more 
the center of Christianity is in Latin America and Africa where God is working. Let's go through these passages. In chapter 7, God offers a way to peace and security. Verse 3, he said, amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. And he says, don't trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you amend your ways and your deeds, then you truly practice justice between a man and a neighbor. You don't oppose the alien, <coughs> oppress the alien, you, or the orphan or the widow. You don't cheat. You don't shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods to your own ruin. Then I'll let you dwell in this land that I gave your fathers forever and ever. But you trust in deceptive words when you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, offer sacrifices to Baal and walk after other gods that you've not known. And then come and stand before me in the house, the temple, which is called by my name and you say we're delivered, that we may do these abominations. Verse 12, he says, go to Shiloh where I made and where my name was dwelt first and see what I did there. Verse 15, he says, I'll cast you out of my sight. He enumerates sins and he calls them to repentance. The way of peace. Hear me, dear Christian. I believe it's important that you vote. But if Christians in America don't deal with the truth of God and repent from a sincere heart, and America doesn't turn to God and repent of the wickedness and evil. Yes, we've been a nation of good. We've been a nation that has sent missionaries. But on the other side, we have become the biggest marketer, receptor of pornography in the world, inside the church and outside. We've been a violent people. A hundred thousand people died in the first Gulf War. Civilians. Every day you turn the news on in New Orleans. And it's not if somebody died, it's how many. And if you don't like listening to a sermon like this, imagine, and you who love the Lord, imagine what it was like when Jeremiah preached these things to people that didn't like God at all. It cost him. Look in chapter 8. We're going to move through this fairly quickly. <clears throat> Reasons. Reasons that uh, Jeremiah lists in chapter 8, verse 5, when he itemizes some of their sins, he says, number one, why is the people of Jerusalem turned away in continual apostasy? What's he saying? He said perpetual backsliding. Heard a preacher years ago uh, preach on... <clears throat> And he gave an illustration, he preached on repentance, and he gave an illustration about Christians. And he said, you know, Christians, they come to the Lord, and, and it seems like a lot of times that, that people are like an old pump. Now, some of you will understand this, others might not. When you have a pump on a, on a well at a house that has to work to get water out of the ground and suck it up, there's something you do to make that start working, which is prime the pump. And if something happens that the well, you have to put water in it to make it work. If something happens that the well loses its prime, you've got to go back and redo it. They make a lot better pumps now than they did when I was a kid. Not only did we have rats in the well from time to time, you don't even want to think about that. Just forget I put that in your mind. Not only did we have critters get in our well, but every once in a while the pump would lose its prime. It would just run and run, but pump no water. And the man said, 
Pastors so busy sometimes just trying to help people get their pump primed again that they can't work for, to reach the lost because they spend their time trying to repump all the Christians and pump them up so they can just make it through the day. I'm not, I don't believe that's true here. I believe for the most part, folks of Zion Hill love Jesus with a sincere heart. But Zion Hill is one church in all the churches I've been in in 49 years of preaching. There aren't a lot of Zion Hills. Perpetual backsliding. There are false preachers who will tickle your ears and make you feel good and people mostly want you. Don't tell me anything about repentance. Tell me God's going to bless me. Tell me that God's going to make me wealthy. Tell me that God's going to heal me. Tell me that God is going to bless me when I go out and bless me when I come in. Yes, God wants to do all those things. And he told Israel, he told Israel, or told Jerusalem in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil. We want that sermon. But if you get that sermon and read the Bible, you've got to read all the story that is there. And God said, I have good plans for you, but it's going to cost you 70 years of your life. You're going to be deported. And when you get over there to Babylon, I will not forget you. Plant gardens, put your roots down, stay there, seek the welfare of the city. And in due season, I'll bring you back and cause you to prosper. Nobody tells you that part of it, do they? But that's part of it. God prospers when he purifies. Perpetual backsliding. Verse 9, let's see, verse 7 and 8. <clears throat> Chapter 8. Even the stork in the season, uh, in the sky knows their seasons. My people don't know God. Can I say to you, most Christians in America would rather have a little sound bite than to eat the Word of God on a regular basis. We're an illiterate, biblically illiterate people. Now, our older generation is not. And some of our younger generation is not. But the church in the big picture in America... can't discern the lie from the truth because they do not know God's Word. And I lay that at the feet of many preachers who preach what pays. Somebody said, do you like reading this book and these books by this man? And I say, when you, when you, when you, when you write books on end-time prophecy, it brings money and puts it in your pocket. People want to know what's novel. They want to know what is, what is popular. They want to know something that's out there, but they don't want anybody to get right in here in my grid, in my space, and deal with me so I can get all the broken things in me and the garbage things in me fixed before God so God can fill me up and prime my pump and send me out to bring others to the knowledge of Christ. Spiritual illiteracy. Jeremiah then went on to say about God's people. Verse 6, he said, I've been listening and, and they've spoken what is not right. And no man repented of his wickedness, of, of this wickedness. And they said, what have I done? Everyone turned to their own course and took his, like a horse charging into battle. Knowledge of God, but no fear of God. In my lifetime, I've seen, I've seen the change in America where we turned away from the Bible, where scriptural songs like Amazing Grace were number one on the chart for week after week on the popular radio stations. 
to where if you refer to God or Jesus, you may lose your job and get banned from broadcasting. Little change. Little change. False prophets, 10 and 11. False preachers who are gain, greedy for gain. Does that sound familiar? I used to... Li- I used to listen to the radio in the 60s and 70s where there was a preacher, and I can't remember his name, and he'd say, this is your old brother, so we want to give you this free record album offer. It's free. Just send us a donation of 50 bucks. It's a free record for you as soon as we get your donation. Now, listen. Ministries have to be funded. God has ordained, God has ordained, the Scripture says, that those who preach the gospel live by means of the gospel. That is, those who hear the gospel are to meet the needs of those who are preaching the gospel. But we got a lot of folks who preach a false gospel or a half gospel. And he says in Jeremiah that was true. Greed throughout the land. Deception. In verse 12 he talks about abomination. And he talks about the fact that they lost the ability to blush over sins. I don't think it's a big stretch between the child sacrifices that were sacrificed in the valley of Tophet or Hinnon just outside of Jerusalem. The pagan worshipers sacrificed. I don't think it's a far stretch from that. To say that in America, 60, maybe 80 million babies have been legally aborted with the blessing of a nation that refuses to turn around. Abominations. We live in a country that has embraced the absurd and is embraced over and over and over and over and over again. That which God says is abomination. You say, Gary, are you preaching hate? No, I'm trying to preach what God says. There are things that God says he hates. And he calls us to hate sin. He calls us to love sinners. And, and church... We tend to, it, it seems to me that in the Christian community, we tend to either be over here on the side that I confuse hating sin with hating people. Or we're over here on this side and we tolerate everything and have no judgment about anything. And God calls us to return to this and to a faith that is real, to a heart that is broken for this world. A heart that loves people regardless of their sins. And a heart that holds up truth as a standard in our own lives and the lives around us. Jeremiah said, summer's ended. The harvest is past. We're not healed. Here's this line. God has in his mind, his heart, I don't know where that line is, but every nation, I believe, has a line like that. And here's the place where God sends his prophets and says, stand at the crossroads, go stand in the church and tell people, watch the traffic and find the right path and go that way. The path of repentance, the path of reconciliation, the path of truth and righteousness and stand that way and go there. And America is somewhere, I think, between those two lines. I know people who believe sincerely with all their heart that we've already crossed that line of no return. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of days that I I wonder about that. But then I realize we're 300 years old and Israel was 700 years old. There may be hope. There may be opportunity. 
when the sun comes up, God's mercy is fresh. There is a healing. There is a balm in Gilead. His name is Jesus. That's a long message. There's not a lot of feel good there. Here's the feel good. David discovered after his sin that he was having a hard time living with the guilt of his sin because, because he had a relationship with God. If you haven't hardened your heart and ignore sin, you may not have a relationship with God. But if you know God, His Holy Spirit will be grieved and He'll be grieving you. And so David said, what God wants is not our sacrifices and offerings. Sacrifice and offering He wants Psalm 51, verse 16, 17. The sacrifice that God wants is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. I struggle, I struggle with finding passion in my heart that I had in my 20s and 30s and 40s. Maybe some of that's just the chemicals that happen when you get older, I don't know. But I know that if America has any hope at all of averting a total judgment by God, it lies in congregations and people just like you who love God with all their heart and who are willing to say, God, here am I. Send revival. I draw a circle around myself and say, God, search me and send revival and use me. Show me how to pray. Use me. Break the spirit of apathy in my life. Break that spirit of lethargy in my life. Get me up and give me the inner motivation to seek after you with my whole heart. Let's bow our head. Praise team, why don't y'all just stay where you're at. Let's deal business with God. I believe with all my soul, I hope I'm wrong, but if America's churches don't begin to seek God instead of seeking new methodologies and seeking new books, new experts, if we don't begin to seek God and confess our sins and seek His face, our days are numbered as a nation, at least in the way we know it. I hope I'm wrong. But I believe I will see that in my life. I also believe that I'll see revival in God's people who sincerely turn to Him. I'm challenging you this morning. Would you just ask God to search your heart? Would you ask Him to look at your priorities? I've been dealing with this all week, last couple of weeks in my own life. And I probably need to turn the TV off some at night and go find a quiet place to pray. I probably need to be a little more careful of my daily devotions. I may need to ask God if there's anybody I've offended needlessly or anybody that I've held a grudge against that I need to ask them to forgive me or I need to forgive them. So God hears my prayers. I may need to check and see if my heart of hearts loves Jesus more than I love my football team or my whatever. I may need to ask God, is there anything I wouldn't do if you asked me to? There's a song we used to sing. It says, all to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I'm just... I'm simply asking you as a church, will you, will you ask God to make you part of the solution and begin to seek Him for more than just getting out of the COVID, but to seek His face, 
that COVID in the long run may be a blessing because the COVID may give people a little time to pray if we will take it. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for your love. Thank you that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. And when we come to him, he remembers those sins no more. And thank you, God, that you deal with nations. And we beg you, O oh God, for the salvation of America, for this land. Search me. Search me, O oh God. Search us. Purify your people. Assume the role of first place in my life and our lives. Thank you for this church, for these people that love you. Let us be, let us be part of revival in this land. Turn the hearts of America back to you so that we love truth and we love what is right in the eyes of God. Give us leaders that are not greedy for gain, that are not deceptive and deceivers, and restore this land so that America can bless you and bless the world again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you need to talk to me or Brother Dave, we're going to hang around just a moment. I'll have my mask on. This is a solemn morning because we're at a solemn place in a land that is heading fast, fast down a grease slope towards destruction. And you may say, Brother Gary, I don't want to hear all that. Well, you don't have to listen. But I pray, I pray that God touch your heart and that we give ourselves again. 2 Corinthians 13, I believe verse 6 says, examine yourselves. And he's speaking to the church. We're saved. We got a home in heaven. But God wants to use us here. Will you be an instrument of revival in this time, in this place, in this land? May God bless you. Depart in peace. I look forward to seeing you soon. We don't do these solemn kind of things every Sunday. We love to celebrate, don't we? If America repents, we're going to have a celebration that we like it's never seen before. But first, church, we, the church of Jesus, is what stands between God and judgment of America. That's a responsibility. Let's take that and let's seek God individually and corporately as he leads us. Father, you're good and we love you. Help us to hear what you want to say as we exit today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.